It is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Every Friday, we dig into the week's top headlines. This week, Governor Sununu signed several bills into law, three of them aiming to improve policing in the state. A special New Hampshire House Committee met to begin the process of redrawing lines on election maps. And the town of Peterborough was targeted by cyber criminals who stole $2.3 million in taxpayer money. Joining us now to talk about all of this and much more is NHPR's Mary McIntyre and Anna Brown from Citizens Count, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit that promotes civic engagement. Thanks to you both for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Let's start with police reform, if we could. Um, The governor signing three bills Wednesday that were based on recommendations from a statewide commission on police accountability and transparency, also known as the Lee Act Commission. Now, one of these bills will make the exculpatory evidence schedule. That's better known as the Lori List public. Mary, let's start with you. Can you remind us what even is the Lori List? Sure. So this has been a secret list that contains the names of over 200 New Hampshire police officers whose credibility might be called into question during a trial because of their past behavior. Um, You know, there's a range of reasons or offenses that might get an officer on the list. If someone's on the list, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've committed something as serious as a criminal act. But again, it does mean that their credibility has been called into question. Uh, It's kind of interesting because ideally this is a tool that's supposed to help criminal defense lawyers know if there's an officer involved in their case who has had issues in the past. Um, The attorney general's office, which manages the list along with police unions, have said that it's a confidential personnel file and is exempt from the state's right to know statute. Uh, That's why they've argued for making it secret in the past. Uh, But criminal justice advocates have argued for a long time that if there's some list kept by the state that includes the names of officers whose credibility has been questioned, uh, that the public should know who's on it. Yeah. And there's there's somewhat of a compromise here. This new law says the Lori list will be public, but there's a process for that, right? When when do you expect that to, to actually happen? Right. So there's actually supposed to be a process in place already for officers to be able to appeal their Lori list status. But uh, because this list is so secretive, there are some officers who might not actually even know that they're on it. Um, So under this bill, officers on the list will be given 90 to 180 days to appeal their status to a superior court. After those deadlines pass, the attorney general is supposed to post the list on a public facing website. Um, I actually talked more about this with with Nancy West this week. She's the executive editor of In-Depth New Hampshire, and she's been covering the lawyer list for decades now. Um, she said those appeals could get tied up in court. We don't really know how long this process will take, so maybe we'll see the list after a few months, but it, it honestly could also be much longer than that. Uh, I think it's also important to note that the state doesn't have great transparency when it comes to police records or how these complaints of misconduct are handled against police officers. It can really vary between um, local police departments, Rick. And this list has become a huge part of this larger battle for access to police records in the state. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Anna, there were some some key recommendations from the LIAC Commission that did not make it into any of these new laws and that left criminal justice reform advocates pretty disappointed. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yes. So 
Probably the biggest recommendation that didn't make it in would have required law enforcement agencies to gather demographic data at a minimum gender and race for arrest citations and motor vehicle stops. So this would allow analysis to reveal any any bias. Are black residents getting pulled over more for over more, for example? But it's tricky also to have officers marking demographic data if you know they don't have some unbiased source for it, right? So are you just going to stop for a demographic survey in the middle? Are are you going to just assume someone's race? So there was a related recommendation that would add a person's race to their driver's license with an opt-out option. Those two related recommendations were both originally included in the bill SB 96, but legislators were concerned about logistics and costs. And so they took them out and created a committee to study the issue instead. Now, we've asked listeners to write in with their questions and comments about police reform in New Hampshire for the recap. You you can do that, by the way, by sending an email to voices at NHPR.org. Now, Ted wrote us on Facebook. He said, amazing how they left out tracking of race during police stops. The governor and panel felt the need for documenting this kind of information requires further review and not immediate implementation. Now, thank you, Ted, for that comment. Now, some of those advocates who were disappointed by lawmakers taking out that data were also LEACT Commission members, and that includes Joseph Lascance, who is an organizer with the ACLU of New Hampshire. Now, let's listen to what uh, he had to say. Data gives you information. Like, you can't make any informed decisions without data, so why wouldn't we want data? What does New Hampshire have to hide that we don't want this data out there? There's a new commission that met for the first time this week that's tasked with implementing the major Lee Act recommendation on police misconduct. Anna, what are they hoping to accomplish with that? Yes. So Mary actually touched on this because the current police misconduct investigation process generally starts at the local level with local police departments conducting their own internal affairs investigations. If an officer is suspended for more than a day or convicted of a crime, by rule, the department employing the officer has to report it to this state police standards and training council. So there's a concern that local police departments shouldn't be responsible for, well, policing themselves. An audit in Salem, for example, found that complaints of misconduct were often being swept under the rug. So in 2020, the LEACT Commission recommended that New Hampshire instead create a new independent entity to investigate all reports of police misconduct. This this is a big, complex endeavor. You know, you're talking attorneys, investigators, um, what is going to be the due process? And that's what this committee commission, I should say, is looking at that met for the first time this week. How is this going to be structured? They're going to start looking, all right, what's the current process? How can it be changed? How can it be centralized? What is that logistics going to look like? And, you know, what will the appeal process be for officers? Um, So some people have called this the final big piece in terms of police misconduct changes in New Hampshire. So, but the bill signed this week is certainly not the end of it. No, no, because we've, yes, so we've seen, we have this commission that met for the first time this week, looking at setting up an entirely new process. Well, you're probably going to need legislation if they're setting up some sort of new state agency, if there's any new positions that need funding. We're looking at if maybe they do add racial data to license driver's licenses and require police to collect that data. All right, that's going to be more legislation. And then there are other bills which, you know, could come up again, whether we're talking about banning the use of tear gas or rubber bullets, bills that got shot down this year that have received less attention. This issue is far from over, and there's going to be a lot more debates about it in 2022. Okay, and we'll be following it, of course. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Mary McIntyre and Anna Brown from Citizens Count. By the way, you can let us know your thoughts and your questions by sending us an email to voices at NHPR.org. You can also leave us a voice message if you prefer at 
1-800-222-5790. I want to turn to the census data and uh, redistricting. Now that the 2020 census data is out, it is time for states to begin that process of redrawing the lines on election maps. Now, a panel of New Hampshire House members met this week to begin that redistricting process. Anna, can you remind us what's at stake as the panel starts that looking at these election maps? Okay, so if you are an unscrupulous partisan, you can draw the voting districts in your favor, right? You can group voters that you want together and then you can break up voters that you want to separate. And so that's called gerrymandering. It's generally frowned upon. I don't think anybody or most people wouldn't root for gerrymandering, but it's a concern. And so basically legislators in New Hampshire are starting that process. There's not an independent commission or anything, but there is that opportunity for public input the same way there is with any other bill. Well, how partisan is the process here in in New Hampshire? Uh, Okay, so analysts may debate how much the districts currently favor Republicans who did control the legislature during the last redistricting process. But even Governor Sununu has admitted that some of the current executive council districts are oddly drawn. I think it's District 2 that looks like almost a dragon (laughs) going across New Hampshire. And earlier this year, there was some controversy when Steve Stepanek, the current New Hampshire Republican chair, said that the Republicans in the legislature will redraw the first congressional district to gain Republican voters and oust Representative Chris Pappas. So I think that there are some people who want to take the Republican advantage for sure, but this is once again a public process. And so I think that public voices coming into it and also Democrats are involved on these committees. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Certainly there there could be a lawsuit, too, at the end. That has happened plenty of times in redistricting. But how does the public have any input on that, Anna? Yes. So there's going to be basically, I think they're calling them listening sessions around the state. And when I checked yesterday, I couldn't find any dates or locations yet where they're happening, but they will be posting those soon because this process happens fast. They have to deliver their maps in November. So we're looking at September, October, various locations around the state that the public can provide input, notably not virtually. I don't think they're going to be. Once again, last I checked, I suppose that could change, but there won't be any Zoom hearings or anything like that. This is the kind of thing that's going to have to happen in person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's uh, turn to some other news now. The town of Peterborough um, this week, it was announced they were scammed out of $2.3 million in taxpayer money. Um, Mary, uh, this is a a small town, 2.3 million, a lot of money. What happened here? Yeah, so uh, town officials, they say that the the theft actually came in two different parts. Um, The first being that thieves posed as Conval school district staff, and they used forged documents and email accounts to get a hold of a million-dollar transfer from the town to the district. And then several weeks later, thieves used the same exact approach to steal a payment intended for contractors working on a town project road. Does the does the town know whether they can even get this this back somehow? Yeah. So uh, earlier this week, when NHPR first reported on the scams, Nicole McStay, uh, she's Peterborough's uh, town administrator. She said she wasn't sure yet. Here she is. I mean, it's obviously a very substantial amount of money for a small town like Peterborough. We're we're really waiting for insurance to come back and tell us whether or not these losses are going to be covered. Um, that's very important. I wonder if there's any timeline. Do we know when they might hear about this? This is uh, this is a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, we don't know that quite yet, but we'll definitely be following this. Um, so keep yeah. an ear out. Yeah. And this is something that's happening, happening more and more to municipalities, big and small, all over the country. Um, I, I want to turn our attention now to, uh, to some other things that happened over the week. As of Monday, police officers 
can refer minors to the state health department for a needs assessment instead of taking them into custody or court. Uh, Kind of a complicated subject, Anna. Um, What will this mean for minors who are assessed to need mental health treatment in the Granite State? Okay, so the the big change here is basically that if a child comes into contact with law enforcement because of whatever is going on in their life, the law enforcement officer doesn't have to arrest them to make a referral to DCYF, to make the, refer them to these services. And then the officer will have discretion if they're going to follow up and file a petition, which is which is basically almost kind of like filing charges in mm-hmm. a way and, and taking it to more of that criminal justice process. So ideally, the, the goal here is to put youth in touch with these services, whether it's mental health or other community services, rather than funneling into them that sort of criminal justice system. And it continues a trend that we have seen in New Hampshire for a while. We know that we were talking about the Sununu Youth Services Center closing down for many reasons. But one of those reasons is the population has been going down and down because the goal is, once again, let's not just treat these young people like criminals and it's a done deal. Put them in touch with services instead. Right. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it at that. We're out of time. Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analytics at Citizens Count. And our, and our own Mary McIntyre, Morning Edition producer here in the studio. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Thank Rick. you. You can find more of their work and all the stories we talked about this morning at NHPR.org and NewHampshireBulletin.com. You'll find more there, too. And tune in to Morning Edition next Friday to hear another round of the New Hampshire News Recap, where we cover the top news of the week. I'm Rick Anley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.